Well, thank you, choir. A few weeks ago, we started a brand new series entitled Burning Questions. You know, if this is your first Sunday here, then you're probably wondering, what's up with the big question mark? And uh, that is just a reminder. It's just kind of a little visual that we're in the midst of this series. And we call it Burning Questions for a reason. If this is your first Sunday, then you've... uh, You've missed a lot of questions that have been turned in really up to this point, about 50 different cards that have come in either out in our lobby or online, all of them anonymous. There was one, I think, that had a name and number, but he told me he was going to do that. But all the others were anonymous and uh, uh, questions that have been turned in about marriage and about relationships applicable to marrieds and to singles alike. And so for four weeks now, this is our fourth week, we've been walking through this series and expect to, to be in it uh, probably through, the, through at least the half of September, maybe even throughout the whole month. And so it's been a great series. We've looked at uh, three messages already, and uh, today is our fourth one. Just to kind of give you a quick recap of, uh, of this series, um, we've, uh, we've dealt with the questions from a biblical perspective. Uh, we tried to sift the questions. They've been great questions. So tried to sift them through God's Word to see what Scripture has to say about it. The first week, we looked at the foundation of marriage. We talked about how marriage is a covenant, not a contract, that a contract is something that we're accustomed to breaking. We're accustomed to absorbing the uh, cost of breaking a contract. It is no big deal for Americans today, especially, to break contracts. But God sees marriage as a covenant, not as a contract. He sees it as a binding agreement between two people before God. And so we have to treat it from God's perspective as a, as a covenant that is long-lasting. Covenants find a way to work. Contracts look for a way out. And we see that played out all the time, both inside the church and outside the church as well. Well, the second week of our series, two weeks ago, we looked at uh, the question that was asked more often than any other question. Almost 20% of the questions that were turned in had something to do with, how do I function when my husband is not a believer? and I am, or how do I function? My husband is a Christian. He is a believer, but he's not leading our marriage spiritually. And so we looked at that topic. Those were great questions that came out of that. To the uh, husbands, I gave the uh, encouragement from Scripture that uh, you can't lead on empty, and so you have to stay full of Christ. You have to stay close to Christ. If you want to one day look back and see that your life, your leadership made a difference for the cause of Christ, for the kingdom of God, then you've got to lead from Christ today. You can't lead from empty. To the wives who are in that situation, we looked at a passage in First Peter chapter 2, and it just simply lays out in layman terms that, that uh, actions speak louder than words. You're never going to win your husband into a closer walk with Christ or into a relationship with Christ by uh, tricking him into it or manipulating him into it or talking him into it or, uh, or uh, um, uh, coercing him into it to some way. you just got to live the Christian life before him and let God change his heart. And then to the unmarried that day, I made mention of the fact that when you seek uh, to one day step into that most important of human relationships, into the relationship of marriage, you set as the highest priority Uh, a close spiritual walk with God in any future spouse. And so that was two weeks ago. And then last Sunday, we uh, received a lot of questions in regards to just what is love in general? What does it look like? How does it play out in a marriage or in a relationship? So we went to 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 8, and we unpacked what Scripture says there about how love looks, how it's lived out. And if you remember, one of the things we talked about last Sunday was that marriage is not 50-50. It's not you do your half and I'll do my half. We'll meet in the middle and we'll have the, you know, Ward and June Cleaver kind of marriage. It's not 50-50. It's not even 100-100 where you'll pull your share and I'll pull my share and I'm going to get mad if you're only doing 90 and I'm carrying the, you know, that extra 10%. It's not even 100-100. Marriage, from our perspective, has to be 100-0. That I'm doing my 100%. I'm showing unconditional love. I'm showing the love the way Christ loves me. And I'm not looking for anything in return. Now, you're going to have conflict if it is genuinely 100-0. And one guy's sitting back on the lazy boy 
clicking through the clicker, you know, every, uh, every night of the week, and his wife is doing all the hard work, that's going to create issues. You didn't need me to tell you that, I have a feeling. But from the mindset, it has to be 100-0. I'm not coming into this thing looking for anything in return. I'm going to show unconditional, no-strings-attached love, and I'm going to give, and I'm going to serve, I'm going to put you first, even before myself. And that's the remedy for us to be able to see a lot more unity and a lot less friction in our marriages. And so we looked at that last Sunday. We talked about what love is, looking at it from a biblical perspective. And so this Sunday, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And I want to address some of the questions uh, one by one that have come in in regards to just the relationship side of life. Not so much marriage, but the relationship. Uh, Some that... um, that are just excellent questions that I want us to sift through Scripture this morning. And so the message today is titled, The Single Life. And looking at specifically what Scripture says about some of the questions that have been turned in relating to those who are unmarried and one day expect to be and hope to be and plan to be. Now, there are a lot of categories of singles when you think about it. In fact, uh, just here in our own demographic, we had a demographic study done a couple of months ago and that came back. For a 10-mile radius within our church, did you realize that from a 10-minute drive in either direction of our church, that 22% of the people who live within, within this area would be listed as unmarried? Now, that's not counting three- and four-year-olds, right? Now, that's, that's older, grown, late teen, and adults, 22% unmarried right here in our own community. It's a huge demographic, a huge part of the demographic out here, especially on the islands. 12% of that study showed that there are uh, 12% of the people are either separated or divorced. Now, let me just say this, that separated is married. <laughs> it's not single. Separated is still married, but divorced is obviously unmarried. And so 12% of the people living out here in this area would be listed as separated or divorced. And then 5% are listed in our demographic area, 10 minutes from our church, as widowed. And so when you look at that particular demographic, it is a huge segment of these islands. There are a lot of people who have questions specifically regarding life as a single adult. What does the scripture say about it? What, how, how, do I, how do I live out my life in, in balance while I'm waiting for marriage to someday come in my future. Now, there are some that are, you're, you're single and you're content, you're fine, you're not looking and you hope not to be found, right? And uh, you, uh, you're, you're, just, you're good to go, you don't have any desire to be married, you're single and you're right where you want to be. Well, I, I'm not going to so much speak towards that group this morning. There are others who are here that you do have plans for marriage one day. You just haven't met that person that you're ready to commit your life to. You expect it, you desire it, you long for it, you're waiting for it, you're praying about it, but you just haven't yet settled into the married life. Well, that, that's who I want to speak to this morning. And so we're going to take this broad topic, right, singles, and, uh, and we're going to try to narrow it down a little bit and answer some questions that have turned in and uh, to try to do that uh, in a way that's very clear from God's Word. Now, let me just get you to turn real quickly before we start with the first question. Let me get you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm not going to hit this for real long, but I do want to hit it because I think it's important that there is a segment within, within, um, within the Christian faith, there is a segment of people who have been called to a life of what we'll call singlehood, it, that it is a calling in their life. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to a large degree, really alludes to that. So let, let's just jump in here. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. This is Paul's letter, the Apostle Paul. Uh, this is Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, 2,000 years ago, still applicable, still true today, uh, as much as it was when it was written. And so notice what he says here, 1 Corinthians 7. The first few verses aren't going to apply 
so much to the single life, but I think they're important to set the stage for us. So 1 Corinthians 7, verse 2 says, but because of immoralities, uh, by the way, let me just stop real quickly. Paul is answering questions that were given to him. It's kind of like burning questions. Maybe he had a question mark, you know, where he was. Uh, He's answering questions in the book of 1 Corinthians that were asked of him from this church. That's why if you read the whole book, he shifts gears so many times. He's answering one question after the other. So verse 2, he says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does, and likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's an interesting verse. Some of you guys have never memorized a verse before, but that's going to be the one you're going to start with, right? You're going to memorize that one verse and say, yeah, I knew that was in there somewhere. That's going to be, that's going to be your verse. Just remember when your wife tells you that you're taking out the garbage uh, uh, way less than you need to, that she's going to claim authority over your body as well. So verse 5 says, Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Verse 7, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. Now, the Apostle Paul, most would agree, there's some speculation here, but most would agree, as I would, that the Apostle Paul was single, that he was never married. He says, however, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that, one in singlehood and another in marriage. So we would, would, could gain there from that verse, verse 7, he speaks of this gift, or we could say a call from God, that there is in the lives of some a call to singlehood. Now let me just say this, that if you are sweating bullets right now because you're afraid that's you, it's probably not you. Okay, The call to a life of singlehood is a call that is extended by God. It's freely embraced. It is not dragging, kicking, and screaming to you being uh, uh, single all of your life. No, it is a call that God extends that is freely accepted, that is embraced by those to whom that call has been given. So for those who aren't called to, to a life of singlehood, then it is understood that they are then waiting and positioning themselves for God's will in this specific area of marriage. And so let's just establish that. I'm not speaking this morning to those who may feel as though, hey, I'm content in my singlehood. God has called me to this life. I'm not addressing you as well this morning. I only have like 20 more minutes. And so I'm going to try to fine tune it and speak to those who expect to be married, who desire to be married, and who are waiting on God for that. So let's go ahead and jump into the first question. We've got three different groups. We'll do the first one here right now. The question is, is dating biblical? And what boundary should you have when you are single? That question was turned in, obviously, anonymously at some point over this past six or seven weeks or so. And there are two great questions. Is dating biblical? The answer to the first question, is dating biblical, is no and yes. (laughs) Isn't it great to come to church and have things just clarified for you, you know? Is dating biblical? The answer I would say is no, because the Bible just doesn't speak to it. Here's what the Bible speaks to in regards to relationships that lead to marriage. The Old Testament norm certainly, and to some degree the New Testament norm, was that your mom and dad picked out who you married, and you were betrothed, and then after that period of betrothment, then you were married. And uh, how many of you really want your mom and dad to be picking out your spouse for you? Okay, any of you? Any hands? Probably probably not. So whenever the, the Bible lays out the model, it's not a prescription. It doesn't say this is the way it must operate. 
And so really the Bible is silent on the whole topic of dating in regards to what is God's command about this. But here's the issue. It's a, it's a hot topic today amongst uh, students and amongst uh, singles as well. Um, is it dating? Is it courtship? Is it whatever Josh Harris decides is the next thing, the right thing to do? You know, which is the right thing? To do? The Bible's just silent. It just doesn't tell us what is right. I think the second part of that question is really the most important part. What boundaries should you have when you're single? Whether you choose today, let me just say this, by the way, if you're a student uh, and you have parents, they really call that shot for you. Uh, that's really up to them to call that shot for you. And, and the day will come when you can make that choice on your own as to what's best for you. Regardless, there should be boundaries. There are boundaries within marriage, and there has to be boundaries within single life as well. There are physical boundaries. You know, the old saying goes, I remember when I was in college and, and uh, involved in campus ministry there, I remember hearing a speaker a long time ago, and he stuck with, this has stuck with me. He said, uh, in regards to physical boundaries in the single life, he said, you set your boundaries at McDonald's at noon, not in the back seat at midnight. And you've got to have boundaries. And if you go in to any kind of a relationship, unmarried, and you don't have boundaries that are there, you are setting yourself up for failure. So there has to be physical boundaries. We could spend another hour just talking about those. There are spiritual boundaries. The Bible talks about not being unequally yoked. No, it's not talking about marriage, but it's obviously applicable to the highest human relationship that there is on this planet. The Bible says don't be unequally yoked. It has nothing to do with race or nationality. It has everything to do with one's spiritual life. In other words, if you have a relationship with Christ, do not be unequally yoked. It's a picture of being bound together. Certainly within marriage that would apply. Don't be unequally yoked with a person who does not have a relationship with Christ, who, who does not have a, a hunger and a passion for Christ. Now, now some would say, well, Brooks, I, I don't know if I agree with that because... When we got married, neither one of us cared a thing about God. And now we're serving the Lord, we're married, our marriage is thriving and it's healthy. Or, or maybe I was a Christian and my spouse wasn't, but now today things are going well. Listen, that is by God's grace and, and certainly that happens. Yes, God by His grace can take things like that and He can make good out of them and He does it, thankfully so. But it is to put God to the test for Him to say, don't be unequally yoked and then just to blindly go in and commit our lives to someone who doesn't share that same spiritual passion. There's no accident that two weeks ago the questions that came out uh, of anguish about how do I function in, in, in our marriage when we're so different Spiritually, God has addressed that. And yes, by His grace, He can do great things there. But it is to put Him to the test to just simply blow through that blindly and to be unequally yoked. So there are boundaries that are there. There are boundaries to a person, to a person's life who is living a single life. So, so what would be a guideline? Let me, just, let, me just give you, let me just give you this guideline. I hope you'll jot it down. It's one of two that we'll see this morning. And the, the simple principle is this, that healthy marriages begin with healthy friendships. Healthy marriages begin with healthy friendships. By design, you know, I've only, I've only had one wife, one marriage, that's all I got to speak about. And so I'll use my wife Susie as an example again in our relationship. That when we started, we knew each other for a long time, had a lot of the same friends. But when we moved past the superficial and got beneath the surface, so to speak, into issues of the heart, we began to really grow. It started with a friendship. And it was, it was really by necessity. I was in seminary six hours away, two states away. She was here in Savannah. 
we, we had to. It was email and phone calls, and whenever I'd be back in town, we'd be able to spend time together. But things went really slowly for like the first year, and we developed a friendship. And I will tell you, if I had it all to do over again, uh, and if, or if I could chart it out a different way, I wouldn't change a thing because God built a friendship during that first 12, 14 months that is the bedrock of our relationship today. And when you think about having a healthy marriage uh, or a marriage at all, a marriage starts with a friendship. So if you want a healthy marriage, it's going to start with a healthy friendship. So here's a passage I want you to turn to. Look over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Because if you're single, if you're unmarried, you expect, plan to, praying for, waiting for marriage one day, then I'm telling you, this, this is a principle that is so important. And there would be some that would probably say that are married today that would say, you know what, if we could change some things, we would go back and we, it's not that we wouldn't be married, but we would build our friendship deeper and stronger if we had it all to do over again. And so the bottom line is that healthy marriage is going to start with healthy friendships. Look at what it says, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look in, look in verse 3. Let's start there. It says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is just simply being made into the image of Christ, being made holy in the way you live. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that we live holy lives. That is, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That each of you know how to possess his own vessel or his own body in sanctification and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who do not know God, and that no man transgress and defraud. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles, you can under, underline those two words. That no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter, because the Lord is the avenger in all these things, just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So then, he who rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. you know, there, there are two words that are important there, and it's the, word, the words that we see there in, uh, in verse 6. Transgress and defraud. What that literally means is to take advantage of another person. You say, Brooks, how does this apply to what we're looking at here in the single life? Uh, let me say this, is that if the, if the driving factor in your relationship with a member of the opposite sex as an unmarried person, if the driving factor in that relationship, what drives that relationship is simply a gratification of the physical a gratification of the sexual side of your life, then you are defrauding, you are taking advantage of, and you are using that other person. Because what Scripture says is, is that there are fences to be built around the marriage relationship. There are, we'll call them guardrails. Guardrails exist to keep you out of the woods. Guard, you're thankful for a guardrail when you begin to steer off, off course. Why? Because guardrails protect you. They keep you out of the woods and keep you on the road where you'll be safe. And the Bible builds fences. It puts guardrails around this thing called marriage that God takes, speaks of so highly that he calls it even a covenant. That he says that it involves the best that you have to give and that you don't look for anything in return, 100%, unconditional, no strings attached love, nothing less is, is, can be required of a, of a marriage. God sees it so highly that he puts barriers around it. And he says here in this passage, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, he says that, that if we settle for anything less than that, and the context here is both in marriage and outside of marriage, that if we engage in any immorality, any sexual immorality, then we are defrauding, we are taking advantage of, 
And basically, we are abusing that other person. And one of the things that happens many times in single life, even in Christian circles, is that it, it is, there many times can be just a seeking after gratification with attention to self and very little being shown to the other person. And the Bible speaks very clearly of the need for there to be barriers, for there to be safeguards, for there to be guardrails in place lest we transgress and defraud another. Now there's a question that was asked, turned in anonymously, that I think is a good example of this. Let's look at the second question. Is it a sin to live together as husband and wife without being married? Burning question. Probably wouldn't raise the hand and say, hey, I got a question back here, fourth row. It's a burning question. Did you know that the culture has an answer to that question? And Scripture has an answer to that question. And when Scripture answers that question, it's not to put a foot down and to, and to make life miserable. It is to protect. Anytime God says no, it is to protect and to provide. And so the answer to that question is it a sin to live together as husband and wife without being married. The answer to that would be yes. Largely because of the passage that I just read in First Corinthians or in First Thessalonians chapter four. Living together before marriage or cohabitation, numbers have risen eight hundred percent since the nineteen sixties. Half of all marriages today in our culture start with living together before marriage. Studies have shown consistently that in the case of couples that live together before marriage, once marriage does take place, if it does, that uh, there's a higher incidence of argument, verbal, uh, um, uh, verbal disagreements. There's a higher incidence of dissatisfaction, higher incidence of separation, higher incidence of divorce once marriage takes place. It's because it steps out of God's ideal. L- listen to what one person said, a man named Andres Kostenberger. He's a... Um, Actually, a professor, theologian, a professor at the seminary that I attended. Listen, listen to what he says. This is too good of a quote. I think too clear for me to try to for me to try to summarize. Let me just read what he says: that that cohabitation is a futile attempt to act as if married while taking more and offering less than marital love requires. So that's a that's a good summary. That when a couple chooses to live together before they're married, that they are actually circumventing, they're sidestepping God's ideal. They're trying to get around what God has already put barriers around. And they're trying to skirt the rules, so to speak. Not that it's all about rules. Trying to skirt what God has already said. This is the way it needs to be done. And in that skirting of the rules, in that sidestepping, as they circumvent those those, uh, guidelines that God has already put in place, what happens is is that they're the ones who, who pay the cost for it. Their relationship is far less than what they would have desired. And in that circumventing of God's ideal as they step around, what they're doing is is they're actually setting in place a a, a scenario where they are getting, 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 getting without giving, 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 giving. And that is not what God designed marriage to be. In fact, it is exactly the opposite. That's why there are so many issues when couples live together once they're married. That's why there are so many issues with trust, so many issues with communication, so many issues with with just the demonstration of love. It's because of that. 
circumventing the way that God has already designed marriage. He's been very clear. Now, is it popular to say this? If I jump up on a stump down at River Street and I start te- saying all this stuff, you know, even in a good, with a, with a good, uh, 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 in, in a good way, I mean, I'm going to be run out of town. But the question was asked, so you've got to deal with it. And at the same time, there are a lot of broken relationships, a lot of hurt, a lot of children that are suffering because of the decision to basically defraud, transgress one another, to start off with an unhealthy relationship, and because of forgetting the simple truth that healthy marriages start with healthy friendships. And so Scripture is real clear. Hey, listen, if you're one and, and that's the, the choice that you've made, I don't judge. You know, as though I've arrived, I've I got a list of things a mile long that you could read over things that I need to work on in my life. I, I don't judge, but, but listen, I would want the best for you. And if God says this is the way marriage and relationships work, then would you not want to follow his guideline and put Christ first and therefore experience his best in your life and in your relationship and in your marriage. So whatever it takes, I don't know what that is for you, whatever it takes for you to keep your friendship healthy, do it as a single person. Do that. Whatever that means for you, keep your friendship healthy. And if God leads to something further, something more, to a relationship that would perhaps even culminate in marriage, then you'll be grateful for the time spent in working slowly and in developing that friendship first because healthy marriages start with healthy friendships. Uh, let's look at the, the third question, the last question we'll look at, and, uh, and we'll look to wrap some things up here. <clears throat> the Bible says that God will give us our heart's desires if we pray hard for them. Why have I still not found my companion? It hurts so much to feel so lonely. And at this age, it seems like everyone is doing couple things, and I oftentimes feel left out. Let me say that it's a question like this that you wish you had more than just a few minutes to be able to answer. When you hear a question like this, for me, this immediately raises the bar, number one, on the need for there to be authentic community in the local church. Because where there is authentic community, life on life, people investing, and I don't mean just superficial passing the hallway, hey, how you doing, have a good week. I mean where you are investing your life one with another. It helps to, to, to be able to fill the void that sometimes comes, especially for those who are still waiting for that step of marriage to come. Now, when I read a question like this, and I think there could have easily been many, many more looking at the demographics on, our, on this island and uh, looking at 450 adults that are here every Sunday, uh, this question could have been asked by a lot of people, even looking at my own life. Whenever Susie and I began to develop that friendship, I was 33 years old. We were married when I was 37. I prayed those prayers. I wondered uh, before she and I started building that friendship that would lead to marriage, I wondered, am I ever going to meet the right person? Am I ever going to settle down in marriage? Now, one thing I can say is that uh, after, uh, when I look back after nine years of marriage, three kids, and how God has blessed us and the, the depth of our relationship, uh, it was well worth every second of that 37 years that I waited. And I can say that with all authenticity. But I also understand that it is not easy to wait. And there are many, many times when you wonder, am I ever going to have that person in my life? Am I ever going to be married? So I do understand, I think to at least some small degree, I do understand how hard it is to wait. It's very difficult to wait. And yet I think Scripture does speak to that to some degree, at least in general principle. So let me give you a principle, and then we're going to walk through a couple of passages here as we start to close. The principle is this, is that contentment comes more easily in marriage 
Contentment comes more easily in marriage when you learn contentment in your single life. That whenever you think of having contentment in your marriage, that one day when you're married, that when you're hoping for a marriage that, that brings contentment, you're going to have that contentment more easily in marriage when you find it in your singleness or in your single life as a single person. In other words, if you're not content as a single person, you're probably not going to be content as a married person. Why? Because marriage is not the remedy that fixes everything in our lives. Marriage is not going to fix a bad attitude. Marriage is not going to fix a bitterness. Marriage is not going to uh, uh, dissolve and resolve baggage that we sometimes accumulate through our lives. And so if we don't learn contentment as a single person, we're going to have difficulties applying contentment in our marriage. And it's going to be a bunch of, yep, 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 bump, 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 bump. Why? Because you're discontent and that bleeds over to the lives of other people. But if we want contentment in our marriages, then it starts when we find contentment in our single life. So flip over with me to the book of Psalm, Psalms chapter 37. Is it Psalm or Psalms? I don't know. I'm just inclusive today. Psalm or Psalms. Either way, turn there. Psalm chapter 37. And I want us to look at a verse. Because this, <clears throat> the question that I read earlier really raises a good point. It, it, it was, uh, I think I, I understand where it was headed, but it, 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 it was a little bit off base just a tiny bit. The basic question was, you know, doesn't God grant us what we want if we pray hard enough that uh, Scripture teaches that? Let me just read the verse that I think may have been in mind, and um, we'll kind of go from there. Psalm chapter 37, verse 4. Remembering that contentment in marriage comes more easily when we find contentment in singleness. Verse 4, Psalm 37. It says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. You know what my tendency is to do with that verse? Is to skip the first half and jump to the second half. Delight yourself in the Lord, skip that part, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Now that's what I'm talking about. Want a boat? Lord, you said, if I prayed, you'd give me a boat, and that's my desire. But that's not the verse. It says, if we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. Here's what happens. That it's as we press in close, as we draw in close, as we are saturated with Christ, as we immerse ourselves in a relationship with Jesus Christ, as we place him as the center of our lives, as we delight in him each day, and as we make him the center of our life, whether married or single, here's what happens. As we delight in him, he often changes those desires of our heart to conform to what he wants for us. Did, did you ever pray when you were like 11 years old that God would let you marry somebody specific? Did you ever pray that prayer? Oh, that little girl down the street, her name's Matilda. Lord, I just, she's just so pretty, got the pigtails and the two missing front teeth. You know, I, God, can I just marry her? You know, or maybe little Timmy down you know, in my second grade class. Can I just marry her? Have you ever prayed a prayer like that? Did you get who you prayed for? Probably not. Do you even want who you prayed for now 30, 40 years? Probably not. Why? Because as, as you grew, right, and as you matured, the desires of your heart changed. And that's what this verse is talking about. There are things that I've, de that I've desired, that I've prayed for, that I'm glad God didn't give me. I really am. And I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about maybe things that I, that I had prayed for, that if God would have given them, I wasn't in a place to where I, <clears throat> excuse me, where I was ready to handle that. 
You ever prayed for success and wonder why God didn't grant it? Maybe because if you got it, it would ruin your character is lagging behind where it needs to be. And maybe he's withheld success because if he gives it, it'll ruin you. And so as we delight ourselves in the Lord, he conforms and he changes and he molds and he reshapes the desires of our heart. And that's what he gives. And so for the single, what does that teach for for the person who is waiting on God in any area? But this morning specifically for the single, it, it teaches the simple fact that our focus is upon delighting in him, immersing ourselves in him, uh, uh, surrendering ourselves to him walking closer with him. And as we wait for marriage, as that time hopefully at some point will come, it is the building of a relationship with Christ, finding contentment in him, which then positions us for a healthy marriage. Let me point you to one other verse, and we're done. I've told you like 10 times I'm almost done, but I'll get there, I promise. Your food's going to be fine. Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. Something I want to I want to just emphasize, and then, <laughs> and then we're done. Colossians two verse ten. Colossians two verse nine really sets it up. It says, "For in Him Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form." Verse ten, and in Him you have been made complete. Let me speak to the singles for a second. Did did you know that Christ is all you need? I I know you might not want to hear that right this very moment. But did you know that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian, did you know that he is all you need, that you are complete in Christ, that you don't need a husband or a wife to complete you? You know what I'm not able to carry the weight of? If Susie needed me to complete her life i'm not up to that kind of weight i can't carry that i'm not designed to carry that kind of a load because i can't complete another person i got a long way to go myself to be like jesus but you know where freedom comes is when we realize that in christ we're already complete and when i look at my wife susie i don't carry the weight of having to somehow perform to complete her in her life i have the freedom to be able to love and to serve her and to the best that i can to put her before me And there's great freedom to know that she's already matured. She's already complete in Christ. She doesn't need me in that way. Yes, we need our husbands and wives. God has created us for that kind of a relationship. But she doesn't need me to be her savior. She already has one. And I have freedom in my life to be able to serve her with complete freedom. No, she is fine in Christ. I don't like to think about this much, but if God moved me out of the way and took me on to heaven, hey, she would be okay. You know why? Because she has a savior who's never going to leave or forsake her, who's going to meet every need that she has, who's going to fill every void that she has. And there is great freedom in that. And I think for, for some of us, we have a hard time remembering that we are already free in Jesus, that we are complete in Christ. And for those who are single, again, this helps to breed contentment, that I am content where I am at this point in my life. I'm content as I wait upon God. And whenever God swings open the door and he says, here you go, the time is right, here's the person, and here's the step for you today, it's time for you to be married, you have learned contentment contentment as a single which is going to carry over to contentment as a married person and you cannot put a price tag on that it's that valuable and so for those who are waiting on God's timing let me ask are you willing to take the time 
to start with friendship that honors and respects and puts that other before you that's going to be required once you're married. And are you willing to learn contentment? Are you even willing to say, Lord, I embrace this season of my life while I wait because you're all I need as you wait for his timing for you. You know, when Jesus gave his life, he gave his life willingly. And when he died on the cross, he did so to secure for us, for all who would turn from sin and come to him, he secured for us what was needed for the greatest of all relationships, a relationship with God. When we turn from our sin and place our faith in Christ, when we surrender ourselves to Jesus and say, Lord, here I am, a sinner, forgive me and take over my life. When we do that, it begins a relationship that will never end, a relationship that will be solid and secure throughout our lives and eternities. And it's a relationship, by the way, with one that we can always trust. Even when we have to wait for his best, we can always trust him today. Let's pray. Lord, your word is so clear in many cases. Yes, there are things that are hard to understand. People interpret differently. But Lord, the bulk of it is so clear. Lord, we look at our culture today and we see people jumping from relationship to relationship. No barriers, no boundaries. Seeking for something really that only you can give. And so, Lord, whenever we look at the topic of marriage and relationships and life as a single, life as a married person, Lord, the, the, the bottom line is that we really start in relationship with you. Lord, understanding that the, the boundaries that you put in place, whether they be physical or spiritual, whatever they may be, Lord, they're there to protect us and to provide for us. But Lord, I know in a church this size that there would be many who could say, you know, I, I, didn't, I didn't follow that path, but God showed grace to me. Lord, we have so much to be grateful for that you give us direction. And yet, Lord, I know that for those who are waiting for the time for marriage, waiting to meet the person, Lord, that that is a difficult wait. And Lord, I don't take these questions lightly, and I don't have answers to every question, obviously. But Lord, where your word speaks, I just want to try to proclaim that. And I think your word is spoken here. That healthy friendships are where they start. That we have to learn contentment as a single to be content in marriage. And Lord, through it all, that we can have a relationship with you that fills every need, every void. So we thank you for what you give to us, what you offer to us. Help us now, Lord, to apply what we've learned. For those without a Savior today, may they turn and find Christ as they invite him in to, forgive, to, to, to take over their lives, to forgive them of their sins. And Lord, for those in marriage and for those waiting for marriage alike, Lord, teach us to walk with you closely and deeply, to find that you, the author of life, is the only one that can make us who you want us to be. We thank you for marriage, God. What a blessing that it is. Thank you for those that are single, Lord, for the ways that you elevate that status. So many ways in the New Testament. You hold it on a pedestal. And you see and you characterize the value of the single life and what it can accomplish for the kingdom of God. So, Lord, have your way today in the decisions we make as we respond to your word. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.